Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Patrick Chun, the founder and managing partner of Juxtapose, a really interesting VC firm. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. No, thank you, Greg. I'm really excited to be, to be here. So to get things started, I always like to let our guests just introduce themselves a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about yourself and Juxtapose so people have some background information? Sure. Yeah. So I so I've been in the technology investing business for almost twenty years, and then in twenty fifteen I, I co-founded a New York City based venture fund, which, as you know, is called Juxtapose. We have what I think is a pretty unique angle, um, and some would actually say it's not venture capital or it's venture capital upside down. But you know, kind of long story short, rather than doing a lot of things, rather than investing in pre-existing businesses with first-time entrepreneurs, and then having a high tolerance for companies going under, we actually do very few things. We start them in partnership with experienced executives, and we have a business model that's actually geared to making sure everything works. So, you know, practically speaking, that translates everything we're doing on from a day-to-day -day basis in terms of how we do diligence, how we find who we partner, and then how we support companies after, after they start. And yeah, so if you look at our portfolio, you'll see that we're in some of the biggest industries. Our average CEO is upwards of 50 years of age. And, you know, our hit rate looks very different than a venture fund because we're designed to be very different. In terms of my heritage and our founding story, so I actually spent time you know, at funds like Thrive Capital that you might know. They're very deep in fintech, companies like, like Robinhood and, um, and Cedar and Oscar, um, as well as Accretive, which is a bit more under the radar. But they both have kind of a hands-on building component to, to that is core to the strategy. So it's really been working at funds like these, as well as time at more traditional investment funds like Bain Cap Ventures and Francisco Partners, where I found my sweet spot of loving I'd say the intellectual breadth of venture capital, but find myself really drawn by the more exciting and complex nature of the creation and inception of businesses. And so, yeah, really kind of a quick summary. We just uh, closed on our most recent fund, which is $300 million. And is, I think one of our LPs has said is the largest fund exclusively dedicated to doing this kinds of hands-on focused venture creation work. And, and some examples from our fund include a life insurance business called Day Forward, a dental care business called Tend, a, a company called Care of and Nutrition, a company in real estate technology called Orchard. And across these four businesses alone, um, they've raised upwards of uh, you know half a billion dollars of outside growth capital. Wow. Okay. So really interesting here. And, and I think one of the things which you want to jump into right away is looking at the way you, you operate. You're kind of saying you take a venture capital model and turn it on its head, which if you're in the VC space probably sounds crazy. Uh -huh. But if you're not in the VC space and not in the fintech space, the way venture capitalists kind of currently operate, the current state of play actually <laughs> sounds pretty crazy, right? You think we're right. going to priority, if we get 5% hits, that's a win for us, which is kind of bonkers when you, if you're outside of it and you hear that. Now, I'm not going to say that the way that it runs is, um, is, is insane, but I think there are elements to it, which you know, raise some eyebrows, let's say at the very least. So can you give us just kind of your view of the, the current state of play, you know, what the current venture capital market looks like, and then we can talk a little bit about, you know, juxtapose as a, a response to that or something kind of a little bit different from that. Yeah, sure. And, and by the way, I totally understand from the outside in why it looks absurd, because it's, it's a unique business model that, that really serves upside skew. Um, I mean, so maybe stepping back, I think at a high level, there, there, there's a lot of kind of rhyme, rhyme and rhythm in terms of why 
why venture capital works the way it works. And as, as you know, there are a lot of smart people. There's a lot of, there's a track record of really great venture funds being successful. And as an asset class overall, it has worked. And so I would start by saying that, you know, from the outside in, it looks absurd, but there's, there are a lot of really smart people doing great things. Um, I, I do think like the incentives that kind of drive that, that crazy perspective though, is, is really, again, the pursuit of this upside skew. And, and what that means is for most venture funds, you know, if you're investing in 30 companies per, year, per, per fund, three or four companies can make the difference between being a good fund, you know, a good fund being top quartile, a great fund being top 10%, and then like a, you know, a game-changing fund, the top 1% fund. And so really, what does that mean? Your behavior is to say, okay, we've just got to make sure the three things that we that work, work really, really well. And frankly, the 20 to 25 things that don't work, it's okay if they fail. And so, you know, if you have, you know, again, I think people sometimes in a negative way describe this as, you know, spray and pray. I don't know, like necessarily that best investors are spraying and praying, but I, I think your companies end up looking in financial terms like options. And so your incentives, your operating model, the way you spend time, how, how a company, how a venture fund is built in terms of the people are all built around that, right? So what does that mean? You're looking for really interesting spaces that may fail, but may have massive upside skew. You're spending a lot of time selling companies. You need to be on a lot of boards because if you want the best entrepreneurs and the craziest spaces, they're going to ask you to join the boards. You know, you back the winners, but you know, your mm -hmm. model says it's okay for failure. So you, you, you know, kind of decide to pull out of the ones that are less promising. And the moment you sign up a company, you're kind of hunting for the next big thing because that is your job. You have to fill that portfolio out. So again, I, I think it does look crazy, but now you kind of step back again. You're like, the model does work for a lot of funds. There are great funds that have consistently high hit rates, return a lot of money and have done so consistently. And, and there's also a lot of innovation happening in the space. And so I, I will say it is kind of crazy at the same time. It, it does work for a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's an important caveat to keep in mind. You know, it, it's set up that way for a reason. And it is something which is not necessarily broken. But I think let, now let's talk a little bit about the opportunity that exists outside of that model, because clearly, you know, Juxtapose has chosen a different way to structure. And, and, and I think that there are certainly advantages to the way that you guys do things. Can you talk a little bit about the tack that you take and then give us an idea of what, what kind of opportunities you think you're able to realize or capture with the, the tack? that you guys have chosen? Yeah, you know, I think venture capital as, it, as, as established originally and now even for the supercharge with all the money coming in is like a, it's a version of like a hammer. And there's, you know, there are a lot of nails out there where the hammer is the right tool, but, you know, the hammer is not, hammer is not the only tool in the toolkit that works. And I, I think about Juxtapose as maybe kind of a slightly different tool. And, and in certain categories and in certain industries and business opportunities, we're going very deep, doing very few things, and doing those things really well with really experienced entrepreneurs actually enables better outcomes, not just for a portfolio, but for the partners that we partner with in a way that, you know, complements, I think, what venture capital traditionally does. And so, you know, one maybe way of thinking about it is we view high growth innovation from a high depth versus a high breadth lens. And, and we believe there's a real flywheel that happens in anything in life, including in venture capital, where if you decide to do less, and have a business model oriented to making sure everything works out, it changes your entire set of behaviors and changes who you hire. It changes the type of LPs that you work with. And that for certain complex spaces where there's arbitrage to depth and where there's arbitrage to really amazing experienced entrepreneurial talent, we don't think venture capital has to be a numbers game at all. 
and actually you could bend the risk return curve in your favor. And so, so what does that mean, practically speaking? You know, we will only invest in a space after we do a lot of work. We're talking, you know, years of full-time team members doing work, and and where we feel like we're probably one of the deepest experts in a category or a subcategory or a business model that we're doing a lot of work. Um, you know, a fun short analogy here. You know, we have two companies, which again feels like very small, but it's also a quarter of our first fund because our fund is really small in real estate. And when we were digging, doing uh, a lot of digging for a company called Orchard, we spent a bunch of time trying to understand the single family home real estate market, like what was happening, how people were underwriting homes, how were they finding leads. And as we were doing that for over the course of two to three years, we hired a bunch of consultants from the space. We spent time in the markets, like in cities, understanding how they were doing diligence. And at one point we were going to trade shows and you know the person leading the work on our side, so we call them a concept development lead, they were at these trade shows and they were like mini celebrities. Like literally they had talked to so many people in the industry and understood the spaces so deeply that people knew that juxt- who Juxtapose was and what we were gonna be doing. And so I That's think awesome. it's that level of depth. Yeah, it's that level of depth that we do. And, and, and then there's a component to what we do, which is really about experienced entrepreneurial talent. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think I would just want to highlight something because one of the pieces that I think is easy to miss here is the idea, you know, you really become experts in the space before you kind of get to a company stage, before you have even a, you know, an investment opportunity, you go out and look at the the state of play and and see what's really happening there, which is obviously a little bit different from how a lot of venture capitalists operate, which is sort of, you know, you bring the expertise to me and then I'll try and, you know, you tell me why this is the space, why this is the market, why you're the company that can do this. And I'll make a judgment call and say, you know, I either believe in you or I don't. Um, but you, you kind of put that model on its head and say, you know, here's the space. Here's what we want to do. Here's the opportunity. Now let's go and find somebody who can come in and build that company. And I think that's what you were just about to speak to there, because that's another really crucial element to the way you guys do business. I think, I mean, it's dead on. I mean, one of our, our limited partners the investors in our fund describes our strategy as we figure out the sport we want to play, we figure out the championship strategy, and then knowing those things, you know, which exact Olympic athletes you want on the court. And, and I think there's, there is real truth to that. And I think there, there's kind of two main benefits that, that I think one, which is very obvious, which you described, and second, which is slightly less obvious, that, 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 that accrue to us. So one is, Obviously, when you know, again, using the analogy of the sport analogy, you kind of know what athletes would create the most value here. And so for us, we, we think there's one, we were able to identify the skills we need, the backgrounds we need, the industry expertise we need, but also we're able to um, you know, find people who have done that thing or those things several times. And so you're able to find really experienced, you know, we call them experienced entrepreneurial executives, you know, but folks that have the experience have the proven track record, but are very entrepreneurial to do those things. I, I think the, the, the counterintuitive or maybe less obvious benefit from the model, however, is actually you're actually able to better attract that entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? So like when you're trying to convince someone who's you know a really successful three-time CEO, who's seen the ups and downs, isn't doing this for the first time, they're also, frankly, they're not as excited about just doing it for fun. They want to make sure they're building a platform at the same time yeah. and they want to have the right parties to join. They look at what we do and they're like, wow, do I believe that this sport is the big sport? Do I really believe that this is a championship strategy? And when you have all of that out there, you're able to find and open up a pool of talent that I think is a lot more exciting, frankly, than, 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 than otherwise. 
Sure. No, I think that's a really interesting one. And, I, and one thing you'll find as you work in the space, obviously, is when you see a seasoned founder, somebody who's kind of been around a couple of times, had maybe a couple of successful exits, they will approach things with maybe a slightly greater degree of skepticism. And obviously that's their right. You know, they've been successful. And so, you know, where a first time founder is going to say, oh, cool, this company's willing to fund us to the tune of $10 million. Let's, that's great. Let's get the press release going. You know, this is a big deal for us. The, the third time founder is going to say, well, do I really need 10 million? What are the terms like? And they're going to be a lot more right. critical. And, and, and I mean, just to your point, that just kind of underscores the experience that they have and the more the likelihood that they're going to grow into that really successful company that's going to dominate the space. Um, I, I do have an eye on the clock here, and I want to just make sure we get to kind of a, the last question, which I have for you, which is, you know, knowing what you know, you've obviously seen multiple sides of the VC coin. You've been in some more traditional ones and obviously juxtaposed, maybe less. So what advice do you have for early stage fintech founders? You know, what should they be thinking about as they evaluate their potential sources of capital? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a good question. And I think right now, by the way, it is a golden age of fintech innovation, and there's a lot of... Uh, uh, investors that are interested in supporting this innovation. And so I think it's a really good question that for early stage founders to have to help in mind. I mean, at the highest level, I, I would probably, and maybe this is not like that breakthrough, but I think it's quite an important point. I think finding investors that are your complement versus finding investors that look and feel like you is probably like the, you know, maybe biggest nudge I would give for, especially first time founders who are who are thinking about businesses. And, and I, I say this because I think sometimes it's easy from the outside, if you're you know starting a, a business and you're in fintech, you might have some really quick heuristics around. Okay, well, have they invested in really great fintech businesses before, or you know, do they look and feel like me? If I'm building a product company, do they have product experience? And you know, in a way, I think it's not a bad place to start to start to really understand like what kind of what kind of sources of capital are, are a good fit. What kind of you know venture partners, maybe if venture is a good fit for you, would be a um, would be a place uh, to start in terms of raising money. I do think like what, you know, the world is getting more hyper-competitive. I think that for every business idea now, especially with the amount of capital out there, there's gonna be multiple businesses chasing that same opportunity. And so like, like maybe a lot of other you know, venues in the world, figuring out who can help you do the things either that you're not good at or blind spots that you know, you're, you're lightly aware or maybe not even aware that you have is probably the best it's probably the best place to start. And so I think again, if you're if you're a, if you've been in the fintech world or you've been working at a financial institution for 30 years and you're looking to build a business, maybe the person that you want around the table and the right firm, whether it's venture capital or angel money or you know, maybe it's friends and family, even you don't need to raise venture capital all the time, is someone who you know complements the fact that you've never, I don't know, built a digital product before. Um, or if you've you know, you deeply understand how to build businesses around operational and regulatory complexity, but you've never had to think about the go-to-market to build a business in the venture context. You know, is this a venture fund that really understands, you know, enterprise, the enterprise go-to-market motion in a way that you would never understand? And so I think that complementarity is something that um, sometimes is, is often underlooked, especially when there are shiny objects in front of you, like a firm that maybe looks like, you know, they just backed three or four yeah. other fintech unicorns, et cetera. And so I think just trying to, to do that introspection would be the place to start. Yeah, I think that's such a critical step. And it's something which it's understandable why people would avoid it. You know, if you go up to someone and say, hey, tell me in detail what all your weaknesses are. 
this is not a question that's liable to win you a ton of friends, right? People, uh, <laughs> and it's not something that most people are looking to do themselves. You know, if I'm going to sit down and make a list of all the things that I'm terrible at, um, it's, it's not a super appealing prospect, but at the same time, it's such an important element of becoming successful because if you don't know what your own weaknesses are, you can't possibly overcome them. And believe me, the industry will expose whatever weakness you have, right? We've seen that. We know that totally. um, when you look at the number of companies that don't make it in the fintech space and you think you can't afford to have a weakness that you don't know about. And if you do know about it, then you can go out and try and find some help and find somebody who can complement that. And I think that's such a good idea. It's not you know rocket science in the end, but it's something which you can see why a lot of people would avoid it. And it's such a crucial element to it. Well, um, Patrick, I really have enjoyed our conversation here. And I think Juxtapose is just fascinating. I I'm glad you were able to come on and tell us a little bit about how it works and your views on it, because it's such a unique way of looking at things. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I wish you all the success in the world. And hopefully uh, we see some of your companies on the Finnovate stage here at some point before too long when you know they're ready to make that big splash. No, I mean, what one really thanks, thank you for hosting us, Greg. And I, I mean, we're really excited about the opportunity and in financial innovation broadly, and we're spending a lot of time there. So hopefully we, we have a few businesses and entrepreneurs that, that partner with you guys. Excellent. Well, sounds good. Thanks again, Patrick. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Greg. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.